Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to another edition of Extra Time, a weekly podcast brought to you by the sports team here at Radio New Zealand. I'm Clay Wilson and this week we focus in on the official confirmation of Nolene Todua as the new head coach of the Silver Ferns. It's an appointment the netball community is delighted about, so what does it mean moving forward? We also hear from canoe sprint star Lisa Carrington, departing Warriors legend Simon Mannering and delve into a bit of NFL and the ever-present topic of doping in sport. The worst-kept secret in New Zealand sport was confirmed this week when Nolene Todua was announced as the new coach of the Silver Ferns. Todua has been the hottest of favourites for the role since Janine Southby resigned last month, a move that came in the wake of the team's poor run of results and disastrous campaign at this year's Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. Totoa's contract runs through to the end of next year's World Cup, during which time she will stay on to see out the final year of her contract with Australian franchise, the Sunshine Coast Lightning. Ravinda Hunia joins me to discuss the announcement, and Ravinda, Nolene Totoa coming on board as coach. Obviously not too many surprises from the netball community. No, no, no real surprise there. However, I think the surprise was is when she walked into the room and literally got a standing ovation from everyone in there. It was actually quite a pleasant surprise. She walked in, she looked confident and, and happy to be there, um, despite what many punters have said about the treatment of her in the past. So it was it was a really good sign when she walked in. Um, at the same time, there weren't really any other frontrunners even contesting with her for the role. Um, no other names had ever come up during the this appointment process. And Jenny Wiley, the CEO of Netball New Zealand, actually said as soon as Janine Southby um, handed in his resignation, um, Nolene Thodor was immediately shoulder-tapped. There really was no one else out there for this position apart from Nolene Thodor, was there? No, there wasn't, and Jenny Wiley actually confirmed that no one else had been approached, even though they said at the Silver Fern selection that there were a pool of candidates for the role. It seems as though uh, Nolene Thodor was the only person in line for this role. Now, this is an announcement which comes with history, doesn't it? Because three years ago, back in 2015, Nolene Todua applied for this job. She wasn't even shortlisted. But she made it clear at the announcement that she didn't hold a grudge for that. Was that something that surprised you? Uh, when she walked into the room, I what I wanted to do was see how she looked and what the vibe was from her. Because obviously, if she did hold a grudge, she probably wouldn't have been there. So for her to walk in and be quite happy about it was um, a clue in itself. But... The question was asked, that did she hold a grudge from back then and did she think she should have been coach in 2015? And she said at the time she was disappointed that she didn't get the role in 2015, at least um, be shortlisted for the job. Um, but at the same time said that if she had been, she wouldn't have been the coach that she is today through her experience at the Sunshine Coast Lightning. She's gone over there, she's built uh, a club um, from the ground up and has now back-to-back championship trophies uh, with the Sunshine Coast Lightning. So um, in retrospect, 
she looks back and says that that was the best thing that they ever could have done was reject me. But um, I, she did admit there was disappointment. Yeah, a statement that makes sense to a, to a level. Um, she's also mentioned that she's going to be implementing a new process to appoint a captain, letting the players vote mm-hmm. for who they want. Um, I guess Katrina Grant's position comes under threat with that. What are your thoughts on how that will pan out? Nolene Dodua is um, typically a, a coach who thinks in those sorts of ways where letting players take leadership um, and decisions like that is, is quite um, normal for her uh, way of coaching. But, um, yeah, it, it leaves um, Katrina Grant thinking, you know, she might not be uh, the coach going into the into the next international season. But at the same time, the team is about change. It's about um, evolving. And if the players get a say in who they would like uh, to lead them, then perhaps um, that's a decision that would make the whole team happier or uh, more content with who that captain will be. Um, there's so many players to choose from in that lineup. I am not sure how that voting uh, would even uh, pan out. You have Laura Langman there who is obviously a fan favourite but has been off the scene for a little while. Um, Maria's there. Uh, she's been an assistant um Oh, not an assistant, a co-captain for the Mystics. And, of course, Casey Kopua comes back into the fold, who was the former captain. So, yeah, there's a lot There's a lot to choose from there. It would be a tough decision to make, but interesting one. Just finally, she only has a short period of time to prepare this team for the mm. Quad Series, which is coming up, um, well, next month as of tomorrow, I guess. Um, she comes into this role with a lot of public support for her and, an, I guess, an expectation, given the success she's had at club level, mm. what she can do with this team. How does that dynamic play out, given she's coming in with so much expectation to, I guess, be the saviour of the Silver Ferns? She was quite adamant in not using words like save or rebuild this team and and, and just to get on with the job and get out on court and and do what needs to be done. But there would be a level of pressure on her, I would imagine. Um, But I think what she's maybe telling herself is to not get into that mindset of having all that pressure um, on herself to, to... come up and make these amazing results out of out of thin air. Um, Yvonne Willering came out and said this morning that a lot of the responsibility is actually on the players and coming to the party and actually contributing to the side and not making it a coach-only responsibility to pull out these results and to go back to these winning ways, which I thought was correct. And um, I think Nolene's job is probably first and foremost to build rebuild that culture, even though she didn't want to use the word rebuild. But culture would be... Uh, at the forefront, um, uh, getting that leadership group together and moving from there and getting every single player on board with her to, to progress forward. New Zealand canoe sprint star Lisa Carrington turned up and simply did what she does at the World Championships which wrapped up in Portugal this week. Carrington finished with four medals around her neck, including a sixth straight title in her signature event, the K1 200 metres class in which she is also a two-time Olympic champion. The 29-year-old also won three silver medals, finishing second in the K1 500 metres and narrowly missing out on more gold as part of the K2 500 with Caitlin Ryan and the K4 500 crew. It's perhaps not a surprise then to learn that Carrington has become a commanding presence at major events, a notion she told John Campbell on Checkpoint which takes some coming to terms with. It's kind of um, strange to think I've been um, winning for that long. I, I don't feel <laughs> like it's been that long, but um, I guess it's it's been 
I guess it's been quite a journey from when I first started um, to win, which was in 2011, um, till now. So the sport has progressed in a way because um, 2012 was the first time the 200 metres was at the Olympics. So since then it's grown a fair bit. And um, yeah, so it's been really cool to be a part of that as well. Yes, and you won that Olympic gold, the first Olympic gold. Uh, in the K1 200 in 2012. You retained your gold in 2016. You won the world champs in 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. In other words, you just don't lose the 200 when it counts. And I just wonder how you keep managing to do that. I guess I'm pretty unfortunate to be able to find different ways to um, to grow and progress in our sport. So um, leading into... Rio in 2016 I also focused um, heavily on the K1 500 um, and so now I'm focusing on the K1 500, the 200 and then also the team boats and um, the group of us um, that are training together now so I guess the the standard has improved a lot as well so it's kind of trying to find new ways to get better but also help grow the sport and personally grow and I think it's just finding new avenues to just constantly get better. Yeah, I wondered about that, the motivation that comes from being part of a team, given that the Olympic medals that you've won were uh, singles, uh, the world champ golds are all singles, but now you're with uh, Kayla, Amy and Caitlin in the fours, and, and, and that's different, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, I guess it's, for me it's, um, it is learning um, or relearning and developing team boat skills which are a little bit different to the individual but also just help, uh, trying to work within a team um, and grow a team so which has been pretty it's been pretty challenging to do with but also um, incredibly rewarding so I think that um, that's probably the main aspect of it not necessarily um, physically doing the event but um, learning to work together and mm. grow and support an entire team um, and just, you know, realistically just trying to um, have something that lasts longer than I'm around um, which is, I guess that's the bigger goal yeah, bigger goals are important, right, including the Olympics. Everyone's talking about that. And there's a suggestion you could compete in four events at the Olympics. But d- does the schedule allow for that? Yeah, I think it, it's, it would be incredibly challenging to do that because our program doesn't really allow right. for us to compete because uh, the way that they do the program is really different to the way that they um, program our world championship. So it's designed around... TV and trying to engage public, um, so it's it becomes a lot more challenging to do more events at the Olympics. Definitely, yeah. So speaking, Lisa. Speaking of the Olympics, there's a lovely story of you aged about seven watching Daniel Loder win gold in Atlanta and, and really being taken by it. And your dad saying, um, "Well, why don't you do that?" Is that a true story? Yeah, it is. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, your parents always, you want you to, you know, achieve things that you, you know, strive for something bigger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I guess that you never, um, I guess it's kind of being someone like an Olympian, I guess we put them in such um, high esteem and um, they represent us 
you know. So um, proudly, and those people, you just want to be those people because of what they represent. So, yeah, yes, you just start heading towards that track. <laughs> and and you became one. <laughs> And and now, I mean, the, and now the and now the lovely thing is that the equivalent of you as a little girl is looking at you and thinking, "I want to be like Lisa Carrington, right?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it is odd to be um, in the opposite role, but um, yeah. I mean, if you know someone is inspired, I think um, that's probably that's probably the success you look for. New Zealand canoe sprint star Lisa Carrington there talking to John Campbell. The tributes have been flowing for Simon Mannering. After turning 32 this week, the veteran Warriors forward will tonight play his 300th game when the Auckland-based NRL franchise host Canberra in their final regular season match. Mannering becomes the 34th player to reach the milestone and just the 16th player to reach it with one club. Ravinda Hunia filed this report on the man who will retire at the end of the season and leave behind a legacy as the ultimate warrior. Repairers in the big space, stretches out, finds Johnson, kicks ahead for Mannering. Mannering's in the race there with Lawrence and he beats him. Simon Mannering is quite possibly the definition of commitment. Mannering's 44 tests, mostly offshore, as well as his regular trips for the Warriors, make him one of the most travelled in any team code. In terms of pulling on the jersey for club duty, he's eclipsed by Breakers veteran Mika Vakona, who tallied 354 NBL games. But he's ahead of Phoenix skipper Andrew Durante on 248 in the A-League, while retired Crusaders prop Wyatt Crockett notched up 202 Super Rugby matches. Mannering, who turned 32 earlier this week, never believed he would chalk up 300 games for the National Rugby League Club. Proud of more hanging around this long. It's, um, uh, it's a tough game. It's getting tougher and tougher. And yeah, surprised I lasted this long, to be honest. And uh, I could have never set out when I started thinking I'd ever be here still to this day. And, yeah, very special. Fifteen years ago, former rugby league coach Paul Bergman spotted Mannering playing rugby union for the Nelson College First 15 and promptly tried to lure him to league. I met on the field and said to him, hey mate, you're in the wrong game. You know, I'm the New Zealand secondary school coach and the father Matt's on the field because he wasn't too happy about a league scout, I suppose, talking to his rugby son. And I apologised profusely, you know, and uh, said, come round tonight, we'll map out his pathway over a cup of tea. That early recognition has led Simon Mannering to becoming the first Warriors player to reach 300 NRL matches. The one-club man will mark his career milestone on local soil tonight in what could possibly be his last home game in front of a sold-out crowd. And teammate Adam Blair says there is no one more deserving. He's done everything possible to be able to play so many games in this elite competition that we play in against you know the best players in the world. Obviously, he does everything right on and off the field. But you know I've been able to play with Simon here and with New Zealand Rugby League, and he's the ultimate professional that goes about his business in the right way and just performs consistently throughout these you know 299 games. Mannering made his Warriors debut in 2005 and was selected for the Kiwis the following year. Bergman says he always knew Mannering would play for the Kiwis, but he never thought he would be one of the greats of the game. When I first saw him, he looked more like a basketballer than a footballer, you know, but the, the athleticism of the boy, you know, then the skill and the speed, 
and the toughness come later. You know, everyone talked about the, the toughness of the Joker, but they're doing him an injustice. You know, he's very skillful, very fast as well, you know, and uh, we all know how tough he is, but, you know, he has some, some other attributes as well. In fact, Bergman was so sure of the talent he had discovered, he gave Mannering a break in more ways than one. I got him a job putting in uh, pink backs, and he never moaned, you know, that was his personality, you know, he, uh, he was coming home with fiberglass all on his arms and legs, and he was sleeping on the couch where his feet were hanging over the edge, but he, he never moaned once, he just got on with the job. Veteran player Isaac Luke has known Mannering since he was 18 years old, and says it's that same professionalism he's displayed throughout the years on the field that's been key to a successful career. Hey, you look after yourself, obviously nutrition-wise, recovery-wise, and to be able to get up every week to play, obviously, a really tough sport. Shows, obviously, the character of a man, of Simon, from... My player's perspective, his teammates, we're just happy he's with us and we get to share this moment with him. While the Warriors still have an outside chance of snatching a home final, 25,600 fans don't want to take the chance of not seeing Mannering play again at home, with Mount Smart Stadium selling out for tonight's game. Motiho tako te atanei, Kuravinda Hunia Aho. One of sport's most popular and lucrative competitions expanded its search for the next American football star to New Zealand shores this week. With the help of an Australian sports management company, the National Football League ran the first of two New Zealand testing days in Auckland on Wednesday. A second will follow in Wellington on Sunday, with athletes in Fiji, Samoa and Australia also getting the opportunity to push for a place at the inaugural NFL International Combine on the Gold Coast in October essentially a chance to show what they can do in front of NFL scouts. The project comes on the back of the success of Jordan Maialata, the young Australian who has come from nowhere to be on the verge of playing in the NFL. I went out to the Auckland testing day to catch up with some of the hopefuls. 6 7 350. I shook his hand after the draft, the 7th round pick, and his hand went up to my elbow. I mean, <laughs> there's no body fat on that dude. There's a twinkle in Abraham Papali'i's eye when he talks about Jordan Mailata, the young Australian who has come from nowhere to be on the verge of playing in the NFL. Just last year, Mailata was playing in the Australian National Rugby League's under-20 competition, exactly where Papali'i played in 2013, before moving to Sydney and playing two games for the Roosters. Now back home in Auckland after a stint playing in France, 25-year-old Papali'i says Mailata's story is inspiring. Actually, well, I was following him during his 20s rugby league years and just running through everyone. But I guess uh, he made that good um, transition into made him perfect for American football. And um, it was pretty cool to see him uh, make it. Papali'i was one of around 30 participating in yesterday's NFL-sanctioned testing day in Auckland. Athletes in Wellington, Fiji, Samoa and Australia are also pushing for a chance to show what they can do in front of NFL scouts on the Gold Coast in October. Australian company Pacific Sports Management have partnered with the NFL in the project and Managing Director Chris Orr says Mylata's rapid rise has been crucial. That was the catalyst to bring some more testing down here. He's progression into the international program and how quickly he learnt and developed his game to then getting drafted by the Super Bowl champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, it just showed there's an immense amount of talent down this way. While rugby and rugby league players could prove ideal candidates, Many of those at yesterday's session already play in an Auckland American football competition featuring eight teams. New Zealand American Football Federation chairman Todd Wackrow says rugby and league officials perhaps shouldn't be as worried as they might be. 
to the end of the day, most of the sports are competing for the top talent. But I also think there's quite a different athlete that suits American football versus those sports. Focus much more on explosiveness and short-term power as opposed to cardio fitness. Wackro says this part of the world has the potential to be very fruitful for the NFL. We do have some incredible athletes with the size, speed, power combo that is perfect for American football. So I guess it shows that uh, yeah, there are opportunities to excel here in this testing and then possibly progress and even make it up to the NFL, which is pretty crazy to imagine, really. With Mylata's success, though, some young Kiwis are starting to dream. 22-year-old Kitiona Ashby Latoa comes from a league background, but now plays American football for the Tamaki Lightning. He says yesterday's testing, which included horizontal and vertical leaps, a 40 metre sprint and two agility tests. Well, the new opponent experience was different, it was fun, it was quite odd, but it was quite good to sort of test yourself and see where you stand with other people. It was quite a bit of competitiveness through the group, there, so that's good. And it was just all over, just a good experience. Up to 75 will move on to the next step of the process, where up to five will be selected to spend three months at a specialist facility in Florida. From there, a place in next year's NFL draft awaits, where successful athletes become part of a multi-billion dollar competition. It's a path Aucklander Abraham Papali'i is only too well aware of. You know, everyone's looking for a ticket and for a way to follow the dream, you know, I guess provide for yourself, your family and all that, that's pretty much what you want. And with the testing set to become an annual event, more young New Zealand athletes are likely to be sharing exactly the same dream. Moti Hotaka, Oti Atanei, Corklay Wilson Aho. The man who revealed state-sponsored doping in Russia says corruption in sport will never be completely eradicated. Brian Fogel directed the Academy Award-winning documentary Icarus, the film that exposed years of institutionalised doping in Russia. He's visiting New Zealand and told Matt Chatterton doping becomes particularly prevalent when governments fund sporting organisations. I think any time that there is a government higher-up involvement in sport, there is the possibility that there could be you know, larger implications uh, for that. But, of course, look, in, in sport and everything in life, generally to the victors go the spoils. And winning carries weight, and it's ultimately what people care about. Nobody remembers second place or third place or you know, the silver medal, the bronze medal, etc. Remember, we remember who won and we celebrate, you know, those who did. You've spent a bit of time with New Zealand rugby now. What sense do you get from them on this topic? Do they feel as though there is a, a reason to be concerned about corruption in sport here? Or do you think it's more of a chance for you to share your experiences with what you've, uh, what you've uncovered over the years? I think a little bit of both. I think, I think from what I'm kind of feeling is that there is a desire to have more investigation. Like I'm here speaking, uh, Crime Stoppers uh, brought me here with New Zealand Rugby to speak and, and share my stories. And I think there is a desire to, to see to it that there is transparency and that there is the ability to, you know, to have investigations. I don't feel like there's certainly any finger pointing. I think that, you know, anywhere where there's heavy gambling involved in sport, there is likely some forms of corruption involved. You know, and I'm hearing that the word here is, you know, the gangs are actually organized crime. So I don't have any information or knowledge of this. But, you know, whenever there's big money at stake, 
there's generally some sort of thing that could be not being handled in, in the appropriate way. But, you know, I, I love New Zealand rugby. I've watched the All Blacks from the U.S., and they're just awesome. So I hope there's no corruption or, or, or scandal that is to be uncovered uh, in regards to New Zealand sport. There's a common conception that dopers are always two or even three steps ahead of testers, and I guess you've covered that off in your documentary Icarus. In saying that, do you see a future where corruption can be wiped out of sport? You know, that's such a broad, broad statement. And corruption, the problem is, is that all that it takes is one bad apple. And as you see, you know, in the, in the history of all these sporting scandals, look, it, it, it can be Russia, which is a state-sponsored conspiracy. It could be an individual, which is, you know, an Alex Rodriguez in the United States or a Lance Armstrong or any number of, of individuals that have been caught for cheating. Or it can be a league, it can be game fixing. So I think the idea that you're going to wipe out corruption on, on a global level is probably a far-fetched concept. I think the best that you can do is encourage whistleblowers to come forward by, by protecting them and, and, and providing a safe place for them to bring information forward, and also for the sporting federations themselves to take real action. That was Brian Fogel, director of Academy Award-winning documentary, Icarus. That's it for this week's edition of Extra Time. Remember, you can keep up with all the latest in sport on our website, radionz.co.nz, or by following us on Twitter, at RNZ Sport. And if you have any feedback, you can reach us via email at sport at radionz.co.nz. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.